One fact I would love to telegraph to every brain in the world, it is that the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. We have mm. this crazy idea that you wake up old one day and then everything goes to shit and no one can think or walk or move or have any fun. And in fact, if you think about it, every newborn is unique, but 17-year-olds have a lot more in common developmentally, physically, socially than 37-year-olds who are way more homogenous than 57-year-olds and so on. So the older the person, the less their chronological age tells you about them. And the, the more... See, any stereotype is wrong and misguided, but they are ever more ill-informed the older the person you are applying them to. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Ashton Eve and today we're taking a look at a problem that affects all of us. The very last accepted-ism, ageism. And joining us in this episode, we have American author, speaker, and anti-ageism activist, Ashton Applewhite. Ashton began investigating ageism in her mid-50s, and what she discovered led her to write her book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, as well as creating a number of other resources to combat ageism, which you'll hear about in this episode. I really enjoyed this interview uh, as Ashton brings a lot of energy and attitude, and I learned a lot about how, despite my best efforts, I'm still carrying a lot of bias in my opinions of older adults, which you'll hear in the discussion. As a quick note, this episode has our first ever language warning. There's a few cheeky words in there that might not be the best for little ones to hear, so if you're around kids now, maybe just save this episode for a little bit later. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Ashton Applewhite. All right, Ashton, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. My pleasure. Can we start with a little bit about you, your background, and and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing now? (laughs) My heart always sinks when someone wants my resume because nothing about my resume would give a clue as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. As I could never figure out what to be when I grew up or barely even what to major in in university, and I realized in hindsight, as I realized everything, that the reason aging is so fascinating is because there's no topic, no domain, no philosophy, no area of economics, you you name it, to which aging is irrelevant. It is how we move through life. Although I must say that if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be fascinated by aging, I would have said, ooh, why do I want to think about something so sad and depressing when it is, in fact, uh, anything but? (laughs) And I am a self-employed writer, and I started thinking and about getting older when I hit my mid-50s. I'm uh, 68 now, and realized I was really apprehensive about it. So being a thinky sort of person, although I'm not an academic, I started researching longevity and interviewing people over 80, and realized in a matter of months, if not weeks, that everything I thought I knew about late life was way off base, way too negative, 
not nuanced enough or flat out wrong. And that was really the catalyst for what turned into a blog and then another blog. And then I realized I had to write another damn book about <laughs> questioning why our impressions of late life are so negative when the evidence all around us is that it is a far richer and more nuanced process. Yeah, fantastic. And I think uh, that really touches on that it's hidden in everything that that we see around us and, and the way that people talk naturally. Can we just spell it out very clearly? What is ageism? What is it specifically that we're talking about when we talk about ageism? The dictionary definition is discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age. We are being ageist anytime we make an assumption about someone or a group of people on the basis of how old we think they are. We live in a hyper-capitalist, youth-obsessed society, so most of the bias and the brunt of ageism is borne by older people. But again, it is any judgment on the basis of age, and younger people experience a lot of it too. Anytime you look at a young person and you think, you know, what could you possibly know, or how could you be old enough to have enough experience to be good at this thing, so you're being ageist in that situation as well. Great. That that's uh, that sounds good to me as well. There's, I remember some situations with former employers have been making generalizations about millennials, and it, that always got my goat. Oh, so, it's so annoying, where, right? I mean, the it? assumption that that you know, what my favorite or least favorite um, trope is that you know millennials aren't loyal on the job. I think y'all are getting old enough now. That's no longer the case. You're no longer trying to get established in the job market. But I like to point out that when people my age were that age, we change jobs all the times too because we were busy trying to figure out our career path in life. It's not an age effect. You know, it's not a function of being of a given generation. It's a function of being at that stage as you're in your life. And it's a completely unfair stereotype. But how could any generalization about all people between ages X and Y possibly be accurate? What, what is this? Because we're othering people here, right? Why are we doing that? I mean, the weird thing about ageism in the, in, the, in the sense of discrimination against older people is that the other, right? All prejudice relies on seeing a group of people as other than ourselves, as you mentioned, you know, other religion, other nationality, other sports team. In ageism, the other is your own future older self, which is nutty mm. if you stop to think about it. You know, where does that come from? That's, you know, a question that, that touches on biology, on philosophy, on sociology. I do think there is something tribal in human nature a little bit. If the barbarians are at the gate, we do tend to group with people who look like us, who have shared experiences, because our, your lizard brain says they're more likely to, to take me in, to not be dangerous. Uh, we have evolved a long way from lizard brains and barbarians <laughs> at the gate. And I think everything we have learned as, especially in a multicultural, globalized world, that those primitive, that's probably a problematic word to use, but those primitive instincts do not call on our higher selves and foster divisiveness. And God knows in a world as complicated and facing as many complex challenges as we are as human beings, we need to find common ground and join forces against the really scary stuff that we're up against, like, in my opinion, climate change and inequality in the broadest sense. Mm. And you're, you're making sort of a career at the moment out of calling out ageism and doing this in lots of different forms. And what forms, a career. This is... I'm making buckets of money. <laughs> Go for it. Join me. <laughs> 
everybody should come to this line of work. But how do you do that? Because it's not easy. It feels like when I think about the situations in which I'd need to do that, it's very awkward, right? I mean, I guess what I do in that sense is social justice activism. And of course, there are many thousands of people doing activism around climate justice, indigenous rights, you name it. You're right that it is not easy work because it involves culture change. And it is really hard to unlearn things that we, Mm -hmm. beliefs that we absorb largely unconsciously in an ageist, sexist, racist, you name it-ist culture. And those, when we're all, none of us are free of bias. And most of those beliefs are unconscious and we can't challenge those beliefs unless we become aware of them. On the other hand, when it comes to ageism, the most daunting thing about it is also sort of the most fun in that it is relatively unexamined. So people who read my book or listen to me talk, they're like, oh, gee whiz, you smacked their foreheads. I never thought of that. It's not that I'm such a genius. It's that I sort of got here first or first-ish relative to other people. It's like cleaning a really dirty window. You can see where you've been, which is gratifying. And I also feel one of the things that I find Uh, uplifting or positive that keeps me going is the fact that if you compare where, I I don't want to speak about all cultures, but progressive thought thinking worldwide is 50 years ago to say that a woman could run a company as well as a man, or that for that matter, that a man could care for children as well as a woman. These were radical ideas, right? Mm. And now the ground has been plowed. You know, so many of my predecessors and contemporaries have been doing and continue to do such uh, remarkable work around our awareness of homophobia, of transphobia, of racism, of sexism, of gender bias, you name it, that to say to people, gee, where's age? A lot of times people don't add age to that list. They don't think of age, for example, as a criterion for diversity. But when I say, how about age? No one says that's a dumb idea. Mm. No one says, let me get back to you. They say, gee, you're right. You know, so I think I am building on a momentum that is a cultural readiness for these ideas that was not the case decades ago. And so I'm very optimistic about the rate of change. I mean, a a global movement to end ageism is underway. Want to know why I'm not tripping when I say that? Yes, (laughs) go for it. You should know as an Australian, as you probably do, that to my knowledge, Australia launched the very first national anti-ageism campaign which brought me to Australia for a fantastic, amazing tour of the country in November 2019, and it's called Every Age Counts. And at the time, I had just launched with two co-conspirators a website called Old School, the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse, on the theory, it was just a theory, that movements need tools, and best practices Mm -hmm. and ways to share them. And since this movement was really new, wouldn't it be fantastic to have really good stuff all in one place where people could find it? And at that time, we didn't even have a campaigns section. And it is now, three years later, one of our fastest growing sections. So that is data. That is evidence. And these are not organizations promoting how to live forever or how to not be lonely or how to be healthy. These are political and economic campaigns to raise awareness of ageism 
and how to dismantle it. Every Age Counts is one of my favorite, but it's also really exciting to uh, let you know that the World Health Organization launched a global campaign to combat ageism. And that's not my wishful name for it. It's the World Health Organization's global <laughs> campaign to combat ageism this March. And that's not the World Old People Organization. That's the World yeah. Health Organization, which has been a little busy this last year with the global pandemic, by the way. And yet they launched this campaign to acknowledge that the biggest barrier globally to making the most of longer lives, the longer lives that are a global, permanent, demographic phenomenon is ageism. Well, this is fantastic progress then, right? To think about how far things have come in the time that you've been doing this work. Yeah, it really is. And you've got the Yo Is This Ageist blog, which is based on the model set out by the Yo Is This Racist blog. But can you tell us some of the, uh, how does the format work and what are you doing there? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Yo Is This Racist, which uh, Guy set up years ago on the theory that, which is pretty clearly the case, that we are awkward talking about race. Uh, so you can write in a question and he answers it. His answer is usually, hell yes, that's racist. <laughs> so I set up Yo Is This Ageist in frank imitation, but I did obtain his permission. Um, the theory that we don't know that much about ageism and that it is helpful to have an arbiter say, you know, if you hear or do perhaps or encounter something that you wonder whether or not it is ageist, send it in to me. A, mm -hmm. It can be a photograph, can be something you heard on the radio, it can be something you did, it could be a job listing, and I weigh in on whether or not it's ageist. I mean, it's actually quite hard to do because a lot of the questions uh, have to do with ethics, which are never easy to write about. A and also all these things are, you know, changing. Culture is immutable. It's not that these value systems are fixed. But a really good rule of thumb is that if a similar comment, let's say, or image on the basis of race or sex would not pass muster, then it's not okay on the basis of age either, even though it may seem less offensive to us because we are less aware of why it's no more okay to mm. mock people on the basis of age or, de or belittle them or dehumanize them than it is on the basis of any other characteristic about ourselves that we cannot change. Yeah. And there was a really good example on there that I was trolling through some of the submissions and your responses. And it's one about... Which Prince are hilarious Philip. and original <laughs> and fun to read. <laughs> exactly. There was one really interesting one that really stuck out to me about Prince Philip that when he passed away, there was no publicized cause of death. And someone was asking, is it ageist to suggest that he died of old age at 99? And maybe you can give us the explanation of why it might be ageist. It is. And I consulted with physicians. You know, there is always a cause of death. There are two, only two, but there are two inevitable bad things about getting older. People you've known all your life are going to die, which is awful. And mm -hmm. some part of your body is going to fall apart. 
Cognitive decline is not inevitable, but your body does not work as well as it used to. And at the older we are, the think of an old car, right? The better the odds that the windows might not work and then the carburetor might go, right? The, the, the longer you live, the shorter your future lifespan is likely to be. That is real. But to say someone died of old age is ageist. He died of heart failure or, or something, you know, he died of complications of XYZ. But people don't die of old age. One of the reasons people use to justify ageism, which riles me, because no prejudice is acceptable either, we shouldn't try and wish them away, is, oh gee, you know, old people are going to die anyway, old people, so, so ageism is quote unquote natural, watch out for that word, because natural. of that fact. There's always a grain of truth, just as there is in the fact that older bodies are more vulnerable. And it's true that older people are reminders of mortality. There is more road behind me than ahead. That's for sure. I am way, you are way more likely to live longer than I am. But you might look at me, you plural, and think I'm ancient, but you don't look at me and think I'm dying. Dying hmm. is what happens at the end of all this living. Aging is living. It is not something annoying that old people do. We are aging from the minute we're born. So one of my many pet peeves is when older people are described as aging, you know, aging parents, aging celebrities, three-year-olds are aging. Everyone's aging. Yeah. The adjective in that context is older, right? And Prince Philip died of something when he was really damn old, which did have to do with the fact that he's not still kicking. But it's not the reason he's not still kicking today. Yeah, thank you. That's, it's a good clarification to make. And I think for a lot of our listeners who work within the aged care industry, they're going to hear, um, you know, attitudes and words, especially things like elder speak, which you've spoken about before. Can you maybe touch on what is elder speak and, and how can that be detrimental? Sure. Elder speak, I believe, is a term coined by Becca Levy, a fantastic public health and psychology scholar at Yale University, uh, to describe the awful habit of describing older people as hun or sweetie or deary and condescending to older people. And studies show that even people in advanced dementia, who have advanced dementia, when they are spoken to, the, to in this way, get agitated. Nobody likes to be condescended to. Three-year-olds don't like it, and 103-year-olds don't like it. And it it is demeaning. I, someone wrote it to, to, to Yo, is this ageist? Is it okay to call an older pe person sweetheart? And every so often I come up with a snappy answer, and I said, yes, if they're your sweetheart. <laughs> but otherwise, a really good rule of thumb, especially in the minefield of sort of what is politically correct, what do we call people, you know, whose gender might be not clear to you, et cetera. Really simple, ask them, hmm. right? Ask them and, and think, if that's not possible, think, what, think how you might want to be treated. Think how you think they might want to be treated. If you don't want some stranger to call you dearie, then don't do it to some stranger yourself. You're listening to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures. And we want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers, especially those people who've shared this podcast with a friend or colleague. Because of you, we've just entered the top 50 mental health podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and we're one of the fastest growing health podcasts in Australia. We're looking to take the Age Care Enrichment Podcast to the next level 
by partnering with great organizations to showcase their message with our rapidly growing audience of aged care executives and people working within the industry. If you'd like to discuss what an advertising opportunity with our podcast can mean for your business, send us an email. We're at acepodcast at silveradventures.com.au. That's S-I-L-V-R adventures. Remember, there's no E in there. Now, let's get back to this week's guest. Yeah, absolutely. But you also need individual people to start changing and to start calling out things that they see to be inappropriate or ageist. How can people start doing that in a way that's not extremely confrontational? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great question. And it's hard. It does take courage. And you're absolutely right that we need the big companies to orchestrate change. But all change starts within, as the saying goes. And if we ourselves, the first step is to become aware of our own bias, which is never fun, whether it's racism or sexism or and we're all biased. The, the good news is that the minute you start to see it in yourself, and my favorite comment about my book is like, oh, crap, I had no idea how many of these ideas I had absorbed and the degree to which I'm part of perpetuating bias. The very next step, though, and it happens automatically, is that you start to see it in the world around you. You start to see it in advertising. You start to see it in that wretched birthday card aisle. You start to see the absence of older people in advertising, for example. And then you realize, oh, it's not that I'm a bad person. It's not that I have failed here. It's that I live in a culture that's saturated with these messages. How to push back, you know, take a deep breath. And a you never want to get someone in a gotcha moment because when we put people on the defensive, as I think you already know, then they just dig in. They're like, you have no sense of humor or you don't understand what I meant or they just, you know, it's, it's, it is hard to criticize and it is hard to be criticized. But a really good all-purpose rejoinder is, um, what do you mean by that? For example, aren't you retired? What, what do you mean by that? You could say, why would you ask? But that's even more pointed. So just, you know, or tell me about that. Let's talk about that. What's behind that question? And try and open the way to a discussion about it. But I urge people, it does it does take courage, but that is how we change the culture. You know, if everyone just goes along with it, um, it's the same as if we see someone being harassed on the street or are in a meeting where someone um, without a whole lot of privilege is shut down or isn't getting called on. Say, hey, Louise, anything to say about that? Or I notice we haven't called on Phil since we show, you know, I mean, those are lame examples, but oh, and you shouldn't say lame. <laughs> that's a hard habit to break because that's ableist. We're all learning. You make a mistake yeah. like that. You say, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I learned that in a very gentle way. In one of my talks, I used to set, talk about my darkest fear, and this will resonate with some of your listeners who work in Australia you call aged care. I used to say my darkest fear about getting older was ending up drooling in some grim institutional hallway. Mm. And my niece called me and she said, Auntie, she's a physician, and she said a lot of my patients drool. And they really don't like it, and they're embarrassed by it. And I wish you wouldn't say that anymore. And mm. I don't say that anymore. But she called wow. me out in a really gentle way. And did my face flush? My face flushes now, you know, five years later, 
because no one wants to do those things. But I am so grateful, truthfully, that she called me. And I have other friends, you know, I'm, I'm better on ageism and ableism than I am on my class and race privilege. But when someone says, you know, you might want to think about how, what you said, I do flush, but I hmm. am grateful that they're giving me the opportunity to learn. I hope that doesn't sound like Miss Goody Tissues. As you said, it's as we're shifting our attitudes and we're trying to make a change in the way that we treat other people, we are going to misstep and we need to be open to mis- having misstepped and, and being politely and, and kindly reminded that we should have another Be little. gentle. You know, uh, say another thing. I just learned that lame is not okay to say. Hmm. And uh, it's a habit and I'm trying to break it. Yeah. And it's a process. It's not. It it's a process. Necessarily and I'm, I'm be, on the same in the same damn yeah. boat paddling. Maybe sometimes in the in the right direction and sometimes not so much. <laughs> I mean, the tool that you offered there to to just ask, "Well, what do you mean by that?" and putting it back onto the person is a really nice non-confrontational way of asking them to explain. What you want to do is encourage that moment of reflection. the The only really good snappy answer I've come up with in all these years is when someone says, you look great for your age, say, you look great for your age too. And let that uncomfortable moment sit there. That's the hard part, is not to rush in and fill that uncomfortable void because it someone has to think about why something they intended as a compliment doesn't mm. feel like a compliment. And yeah. I just want to remind everyone about the Old School Clearinghouse. The website is oldschool.info because we have tons of resources about language search for language, and a number of them are created by and for people who work in aging services, as we call it in the U.S., and have tools for ways to educate people who live in congregate settings, people who work in them, to change our language and in in a way that's more, more equitable and more sensitive. Yeah, fantastic. I can see that it might be difficult when they are responding to a lot of needs of the people, and it's difficult to see them as fully complete adults who have their own lives who don't necessarily need to be spoken to like that. No, and especially if they are really incapacitated. I, I mean, one of the things that that was a surprise to me, but, but remember, I came into this knowing nothing, with no, mm. no degree in gerontology, no expertise in aged care, is that people in aging services can be very ageist. And I think one reason is that they do the incredibly important and undervalued, especially here in the U.S., work of caring for people at the most debilitated end of the spectrum. So that's the people they're exposed to. And that is where their expertise lies and their professional identities and even their funding. I also think it is a really hard job, and I am not condescending for an instant, just the opposite, to reconcile that view of late life with what we hope lies ahead for ourselves. Ageism takes root in denial, in not wanting to think about, in that othering, right, your own future older self. That's never going to happen to me. Don't call me old. I'm in some, like, permanently youthful category. I'm I'm joking about that. But, you know, I don't want to think about it because it's scary. And Mm. because I haven't reconciled that view with what I hope lies ahead for myself. And that's a huge, hard job. It's a hard job for anyone. And it's a really hard job if you are surrounded 
by people who are incapacitated, who nevertheless are living lives of value and deserve to be recognized in their full humanity, as you just said. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you're speaking there, I, I was reminded of something that I caught myself thinking the other day. There when, you go. When you see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. You see a picture of somebody from, you know, the 70s or 80s when they're a bit younger and then you see them next to a picture of them now and you're like, oh, look how the, their face has changed over time. And it, I have this kind of... Um, feeling of like their real face or their default face is actually the younger one and that their face is, is changing in some way to to adjust to time when there is no natural or default face. It's just everybody changes. There are lots of old things that we think are beautiful, you know, old furniture. There's this Japanese idea of wabi-sabi where things crack and they fill the cracks in with gold and celebrate the quote-unquote imperfections, which mm -hmm. according to their aesthetic make it more beautiful. So just think of these wrinkles on my face. Feel free to fill them with gold. They are the map of my life and I'm not ashamed of them. You know, do I have moments when I look in the mirror in the morning and go, hey, you know, what happened? Sure, I'm human, but I have fewer the, of them than I used to. And uh, it's important to beat back these messages of that appearing to age is somehow catastrophic or a failure. Bob Dylan just turned 80 and a lot of the um, pictures of him were of his much younger self. You know, there were very mm. few images of him as an old man and that's a problem. Mm. I guess there's this feeling that people just want to see the younger, youthful Bob Dylan. But when we hide people away, you know, no matter what, it's a problem. I and mean, there's a fancy term for it in media studies called symbolic annihilation, which is mm. the lack of representation. And if you just, I am now much more attuned. I notice when I walk in the room or watching a TV show or something, I notice when everyone's white. I think we're not yet attuned to noticing when everyone is young or, you know, a billboards, campaigns, advertising. And when older people are represented, there's all sorts of studies about it in the movies, you know, those, that older people are vastly underrepresented. And when we do show up, we tend to be portrayed as impaired. It's mm -hmm. really important to represent disability. It's really important to have wheelchairs and walkers. Our bodies fall apart, but not to just show the older people who are aging, who are exceptionally fit and active. We need to show the full spectrum, but we need to show people all together in all our diversity. If there's yeah. one fact I would love to telegraph to every brain in the world, it is that the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. We have mm. this crazy idea that you wake up old one day and then everything goes to shit and no one can think or walk or move or have any fun. And in fact, if you think about it, every newborn is unique, but 17-year-olds have a lot more in common developmentally, physically, socially than 37-year-olds who are way more homogenous than 57-year-olds and so on. So the older the person, the less their chronological age tells you about them and the, the more... See, any stereotype is wrong and misguided, but they are ever more ill-informed the older the person you are applying them to. Wow. Yeah, that's the complete opposite of the way that we talk about older people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Ashton, this has been great, and I couldn't let you go without talking about your book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and, and, and the, the mission there? 
Wow, that's a big question. When I started on this path about 15 years ago, I thought I, I had written one serious book before called Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well, because guess what? I decided I had to end my marriage. And it was quite analogous. I realized I had to end my marriage and I encountered the statistic that two thirds of divorces were initiated by women. And I was astonished. I thought it was 98% guys hmm. leaving their sad sack, old, withered, miserable, poor, broke wives behind for dashing trophy wives. And that's not the case. And it uh, and the catalyst for that book was why do so few, few people know these things? 22 years later, investigating aging, it was very much the same thing. The, it's not that the things we fear about aging are not real. It is that our fears are so out of proportion to the reality. But writing the first book was really awful. So I thought I will just be a modern author, speaker, person, and I will tweet, and I will have a blog, and I will post, and I will never have to write another damn book. <laughs> but enough people said you have to write a book that I finally sat down and did it. And then I could not get a publisher. I've been have tons of publishing experience, have been published by almost all the big houses at one time or another. The fancy house that had published the divorce book that had an option, I went and met with them, and the editor said, we're concerned that no one is writing about this. And my eyes did just what your eyes are doing. I, 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 I think I managed to say tactfully, I think you should see that as a feature, not a bug. <laughs> I was trying to work out, is, is that a problem? <laughs> huh? Aren't you in the new idea business? But no, most publishers are not in, you know, they're conservative. And so I ended up self-publishing it. Um, with the help of my partner, who has a lot of experience in publishing, thank God, because he did a lot of the back-end stuff really well. It's a gorgeous book. And I sold a bunch of copies. I did a TED Talk, and that helped uh, catalyze a public speaking career. But it's an interesting sort of marker, not that I'm unbiased, of the sort of meandering ways. That the image I have in mind is how sort of rainwater filters through you know, the surface of the earth down to the groundwater of how ideas percolate into the mainstream. Fantastic. And, and just so people can know exactly where they can find it, can you give us a link here? Where can people get their hands on the book? Just Google This Chair Rocks, um, a manifesto against ageism. You can, of course, get it from Amazon, but I'll give you a link if you buy it from Celadon Books. They will uh, show you also, or on my website, thischairrocks.com, you will also have the option to purchase it from independent booksellers, which we should all support. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Ashton. You're welcome. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.com.au. See you next week.